Okay, find your seats. The Lord's going to be angry because we have too much fellowship going on in here. <laughs> too much sweet fellowship going on in here. It's time to get serious. Learn something. Everybody back in their seats, just about, paying attention. You came to learn something. You came to worship, right? We did that. You came to fellowship, right? We did that. Now we want to hear from the Lord. We want to hear his word. He wants to speak to us. He wants to teach us. And even when he gives us those ouch moments, it's love on his part for us. Here's a saying I think you'll be able to remember, it's just a little ditty. It's not mine. One of our people who helped us start this church then became a missionary, Jerry Anderson. He always used to say, God loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. He wants to benefit. He wants to mature us. Introduction and brief review, per usual. We're continuing in our series through Acts. If you're visiting with us, we've been in a series through Acts for quite a while. Last week's text was Acts 27, 1 through 12. And again, if you've been coming here regularly, this will make sense to you. Paul is finally off to Rome. It's going to be a, a, pleasure, it's going to be a pleasure cruise after what he's been through in Jerusalem and Caesarea, Right? Maybe think of Gilligan's Island. Anybody ever see Gilligan's Island? A three-hour cruise. It was about a three-hour cruise from Caesarea to Rome, and it's going to take well over three months to get there. And they do actually get wrecked on a deserted desert isle. That's next week, though. They're not going to wreck this week. They're just going to know that they're going to wreck. It's not like Paul hasn't been trying to get to Rome. Remember what he wrote to the Romans in his letter. Please don't misinterpret my failure to visit you, friends. Romans 1.13. You have no idea how many times I've made plans for Rome. But something has always come up. Something has always prevented it. And we said, hmm. Many of us have experienced that in some form or another. Maybe not to the level of the Apostle Paul, but we've had our share of unexpected popping up that hinders us from plans that we laid. You know, the best laid plans of mice and men. But then we shouldn't be trusting in the plans of mice or men. We should be trusting in the plans of God, the Lord. The question last week was, the question we asked last week was, how are we to handle these disruptions? How are we to cope with these unexpected popping up, keeping us, hindering us, sometimes pushing back against us? They're not all just benign. And some of them are even life-threatening, right? What are we to do? And we've been talking about that for weeks, but last week's answer was this. We must learn to wait on the Lord. 
His people, God's people, the Lord's people, need to learn to wait on the Lord. Now, we covered and we explained that in depth last week, so enough said. We're going to move to this week's message. My reader, if you'll come. Congregation, if we'll stand. This has become a usual practice. We stand not just for filler, not just to wake us up, but in honor of the Word of God. So stand, and Tiffany will read Acts 27, 13 through 26. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called a northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I was actually going to. Thank you, Tiffany. Tiffany, you may sit down. So you may have noticed that Tiffany was not here last week. She was supposed to be my reader, but there were too many big words, so she pretended to be sick. (laughs) Just kidding. Stacy stepped up without any preparation and read it and did a very good job. Thank you, Tiffany. So today's title is Nightmare at Sea. Not Nightmare on Elm Street, but Nightmare at Sea. The format is the same old, same old. Same as the past several weeks have been. Exegesis, we explain the passage. We make commentary on it, and we look for scripture application. Today's purpose, what does God want to do? When when you come in here, God has a purpose for us being here. We worship, we fellowship. When we get to the word, God has a purpose in the message. It's not just random or aimless. Yep, we we could preach from any passage in scripture, and it would be true. But there's this present truth. What does God want to say to us today? 
That's my question when I sit down to start sermon preparation. Lord, what do you want to say to your people this week? What does he want to do? What does he want to say this week? He wants to set his people free from fear. That's the purpose of today's message. That's the reason you're here. God wants to set us free. He wants to set his people free from fear. Fear cripples us. Fear paralyzes us. Fear leads to all sort of wrong thoughts, wrong behavior, and wrong decisions. God wants to set us free from fear. Why? Just so that we're free from fear? No. In order that we might effectively minister to folks in our culture, folks out there, folks that you know in your sphere of influence that are in bondage to fear, that live life in fear to one or another or many things. And I would venture to say every one of us have some bondage to fear for which we need to be set free. That's the intention today. This is not just about God doing something in us. Freedom from fear. That's a good thing for us. And it is for our benefit. But really what this is all about is for the benefit of those out there whom God is calling us to minister to. What we learn from God for us in here is to be shared with others out there. You do get that, right? Many out there currently know nothing about freedom from fear, know nothing about Jesus and how he comes and sets us free from sin and fear and all the negatives that attack our lives that we're so prone to because we're human since Genesis 3. There was no fear before Genesis 3. Fear came into the human race through sin. Gave Satan a foothold into our lives. Fear through sin. Many out there are living in bondage to fear. And now listen to this. This might be a different take for us. We get the privilege to tell them about freedom in Jesus. Not the duty, like most of us see it. Oh, I might even have to tell somebody about Jesus. Not the duty. We get the privilege to tell them. You guys got other guys back at Monos that don't know what goes on here. You have the privilege to tell them what goes on here. Acts 27, 13 will begin the exegesis. So when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor. They sailed close to the shore. The sailors thought the shore of Crete. That word is a very interesting word. Some versions, your versions might use supposed or assumed because that's what it means. The sailors thought. It means to presume. It means to assume. It means to think something that's not necessarily true. It could mean to be deceived. Not necessarily in a bad or an evil way, but here's what it means. Making a decision on partial or unsubstantiated or even misleading information. The sailors thought, they presumed, they assumed, they supposed that because an unusual gentle wind from the south sprang up, which was very odd that time of year, they thought 
they could make a run for it. They thought they could make it to a better harbor and be okay. They were wrong. They based that decision on misleading information. Note for us. Remember we closed last week by saying in these days, discernment is the key word for the church. And Chris, I never put two and two together. Your Bible read is all about discernment. And the word the Lord has been giving me to give to the church is discernment is going to be so vital in these days ahead. So critical. Chris and I did not confer on that. We can't be jumping to quick decisions in these days. We can't just embrace everything that comes down the pike that's purporting or claiming to be truth or to be true. And also, on the other side, we can't isolate ourselves, pull back and judge and say, those things aren't of God. Both of those rash decisions are wrong. As believers, we need to be very, very careful these days. We always did. But it's crucial now. There's so much very subtle, very powerful deception that has made its way into our nation and reaches us. We need to check things out with the Lord. What do you think? What are you saying to me? What are you saying about that? Not relying on our own understanding, that's for sure. We need to check with the Lord before we make a decision about a matter or come to a conclusion or taking action. Have you ever taken action on misleading information? You live to regret it. People have told me stuff and then I would tell somebody else and then it would prove not to be true. Egg on your face. Then you got to go back and say, hey, what I told you is not true. Better to discern and research and find out before you spread that information and probably better not to spread the information at all, unless it's going to hurt somebody and they need to know. Otherwise, it's gossip. The sailors made a quick decision based on misleading information and circumstances, and it's going to be disastrous. The church today needs to be very discerning in these days ahead and avoid the trap of the enemy, or it's going to be disastrous. But the weather changed abruptly. They were making a run for it. They thought they had the general south wind. But the weather changed abruptly. It just comes to my mind now that Satan is depicted in two major ways that he comes at us. He comes at us as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, a hurricane-force storm. But he also comes at us as an angel of light, masquerading as an angel of light, and his ministers, or his demons as ministers of light, a gentle breeze saying, yeah, you can do this. And the whole intention of Satan to get this ship out of the harbor and out on the sea was because he was trying to kill the Apostle Paul. Make sense? So they heard the gentle, vo- the gentle breeze, and the non-believers, which were all except for three that we know of, decided they're going to go for it, and then the roaring lion came in. The weather changed abruptly. A wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter burst across the island, blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up, and they let it run before the gale. 
Man, this reads like an adventure story, doesn't it? An adventure novel. Luke is quite an author. Here's one of those little, little FYI, BTW, by the way, where all this is happening to Paul on this ship in the Mediterranean is about the same location where Jonah had his storm and was thrown overboard and swallowed by a big fish. Isn't that interesting? However many years earlier, when Jonah was running from the Lord, this all happened in the same area as what Paul's experiencing now, although Paul's not running from the Lord. So the next slide has the following verses, 16 through 20. They simply just give more of the details of this harrowing seafarer's tale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island where with great difficulty we hoisted above the lifeboat being towed behind us. It's another little fact to make it more real. The lifeboat, which was being a dinghy, which was being towed behind the ship, was completely filled with water. They had a dickens of a time getting that ship on there. And Paul actually uses the, the, first, the personal pronoun we. They actually had Paul, or they had Luke, Paul, and those guys helping get this ship up on board. This dinghy, this um, lifeboat. Then the sailors bound ropes around the, the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. You know, African coast is pretty far from Rome. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship, and they were driven before the wind. Unfortunately, Paul is far off course. Unfortunately, Paul is far, far off course according to his plan. Fortunately, he's right on course according to God's plan. Your life may seem like it's totally off course, random. You're not where you'd like to be. You're not on your plan, but there's a good chance, especially if you know the Lord, you're right where you should be because you're on his plan. If you don't know the Lord, you still might be right where he wants you because he's drawing you to himself. Man's plan, God's plan. Man lays his plans, but God's plan is fulfilled. God has Paul right where he wants him. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. Fortunately, here they didn't throw Paul overboard. Back in Jonah, they threw him overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days. I think it was at least 14. Blotting out the sun and the stars till at last all hope was gone. It's a terrible storm. Cat 4, Cat 5, maybe beyond that. That's how we measure them today. Categories 4, 5. There are hurricanes here in the Western Hemisphere. There are typhoons over in the Japan area. But they're monster storms. That's what they were caught in. Blotting out the sun and the stars. That's much more significant than it just being dark. In those days, the sun and stars were the primary means of navigation. The text is clear. They did not know where they were. They had no clue where they were geographically. Listen, for us, when things are seemingly hopeless and you are in unknown waters, uncharted territory, and you've been there, 
and you've been there. Maybe you're there now. When things are seemingly hopeless and you're in unknown waters, God often suddenly shows up there. Suddenly, there's great hope. Suddenly, hopeless becomes hopeful because of God. That's about to happen in this story. I want to tell you something about God. You want to learn something about God? Something that's maybe a little out of the box about our God? God likes to hang around in hopeless places. Impossible circumstances. Messy situations. You find God there. It's where he does his best work. Hopeless places, impossible circumstances, messy situation. God arrives on the scene. He was there the whole time, but he lets you know he's on the scene. And it's where he does his best work. Of course, we find him here in church too. But sometimes I think we put too much emphasis on the church gathered. Now, be careful, Pastor, because it says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. None of you have permission to stop coming to church because of what I'm going to say. But we think we need to come here to find God. And I'm here to tell you, God is out there. Amen. And he wants us to be out there because he's in us. We take him out there. And we're ministering to hurting people and people who are in bondage to sin and bondage to fear and bondage to all these negatives where it's hopeless and where it's impossible and where it's messy. I hate messy situations, don't you? I like all my ends tied up neatly. And God very rarely lets my life look like that. It's always filled with loose ends untied up. And I've been learning after 43 years as a Christian, don't wait that long. Learn this now. And I've been learning, that's where God's working, in the mess. I don't want to face this. That's where I'm working. I need you there. I need you in the, in the midst of this, where it's hopeless and where it's impossible and where it's messy. They need you there. I am guessing many of you guys and the guys that are still over there that didn't come here have come out of some pretty messy situations, some pretty hopeless places, some pretty impossible circumstances. God wants to meet you there. Right there where you are right now. Or where they're at right now. So an objection you might raise to what I just said. God works out there in the hopelessness and the impossibility and the messiness. No, I don't see that, Pastor. I don't really see God out there. Do you know why? Possibly because we're not expecting or looking to see him out there. We just want to get out of that messy situation and get in here where it's nice and safe. Maybe somebody else will tell them about Jesus and help them out, but we just want to get out of there. I know I'm facing some situations where I would love to just get out of those situations. God's not letting me get out of them. I pray and pray. I'm like, Paul, remove this from my life. God's saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you. 
you're going to walk through it. But I don't want to walk through it. But listen, for those who are looking for him out there, those who are expecting him to show up out there, God is going to move big time through you in others' lives. Out there in a hopeless world. So don't be afraid of the hopeless places. Easier said than done, but don't be afraid of the hopeless places, the impossible circumstances, the messy situations that you find in your life. Sometimes, many times, it's because others caused it. Other times, come on, this is an amen. We caused it. Liars Club. We caused it. Wrong choices on our part. Now we're in a messy situation. The bad news, it was a wrong choice on our part. The good news is God is still there in it. So in our passage today, by the way, keep that phrase, do not be afraid or don't be afraid of in mind for the application. But in our passage today, we're going to see the hope of God break out in the midst of this hopeless situation, the midst of this typhoon, this hurricane, this nor'easter. Through his chosen servant, Paul. No one had eaten for a long time, and finally Paul called the crew together and he said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place. Paul makes somebody a good wife someday. <laughs> Not funny? Yikes. It is funny? All the men say, Is it funny? And all the women say, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You could have avoided all this damage and loss. Wow, how about that? This is the Apostle Paul, man, spiritual giant of giants. Before he offers them the hope that God has given him, he first has to give them the old I told you so. If you would have listened to me, we wouldn't be in this storm. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Good news, bad news, right? No lives are going to be lost, but all, the ship and all its property is going to be lost. So if you're on that boat, or you're on that ship, you're thinking, if you trust Paul at all, you're thinking, man, we are going to wreck in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. In the midst of a typhoon. But Paul went on to say, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. God to the rescue. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. There's that phrase. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And where's Caesar? He's in Rome. Notice the phrase, take courage. Don't be afraid. This theme is mentioned two times here and again on the next screen. That's, from that is where we'll get our application today. An angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. You will surely stand trial before Caesar. It seems hopeless. It seems impossible. It seems messy. But then suddenly, God breaks in. God to the rescue. What a great time for a word from the Lord, right? Just when it seemed like everything was impossible. That's when God always comes through. If you're seeking him. If you're looking for him. And it changes everything. I've been there. I've done that. Hopeless, impossible, messy, and just 
fighting it, fighting through it. And God just speaks a, a short word to me, and it changes everything. And you're like, yeah. What a great time for a word from the Lord, through an angel messenger, no less. Just in the nick of time, when all seemed lost. God is so good. God is so incredibly faithful. In the midst of the storm, he reassures Paul yet again, take courage, Paul. I told you way back there, you're going to get to Rome and you're going to get there safely. But Lord, don't you see this monster storm that's going to wreck the ship? Of course I see it. It's all in my plan. And you'll see as we move through the, the next couple of passages, weeks ahead, how it was God's plan. And I'll just give you a little sneak preview. The plan of God is to reach lost people for Christ. And that's what's going to happen when the ship wrecks. It's always about that. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's not about you. He loves you, but it's not about you. It's about people he wants to reach through you. For us, no matter what circumstances seem like at the moment, storm or calm, hopeless or hopeful, in the best or the worst, the cleaned up or the messiest of circumstances and situations, we can completely trust God. We can trust him completely. Now, this is the angel speaking. What's more, this, this is God, the angel speaking, and Paul's relaying it. What's more, God in his goodness, no, this is the angel speaking to Paul. I was right the first time. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Now, Paul's talking to the crew. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. God is incredible in his goodness and mercy because I want you to hear this. Because of Paul's faithfulness, commitment, and his obedience to Christ, others benefited. Others received God's goodness and mercy as well. They did not deserve it. But that's who God is. 275 crew, member, crew members, some versions say 276, so I don't know which it was, but 275 crew members' lives were spared, only three of whom we know for sure were believers. For us, people are being blessed because of you. People are being blessed in your sphere of influence because of your faithfulness, your commitment, and your obedience to Christ. Not only does our sin affect others, we've talked about that a lot, so does our obedience, because that's who God is. I'll visit the sins of the fathers to the third or the fourth generation. But my love and goodness will be upon those for thousands of generations who obey me. You may not realize it, but in your sphere of influence, people are being blessed because of you. Your salt and your light. Hopefully we're intentionally being that, but honestly, even if we're not, your people are blessed because you're there. Steve prays for our nation often. There's only one 
reason this nation hasn't yet gone down the tubes. And that's the church in the nation and the church praying for the nation. The salt and light that's still left in here, in this nation, is what's preserving it. If God would call the church out in the rapture, which he may very well do, it's not going to take long for the nation to just collapse inward. So take courage. There's that thought again. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. For I believe God, Paul speaking. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. It's before warned. It's before armed. It's good news, bad news scenario. That's the end of the exegesis. Let's move on to the, to the application. Here's our point to ponder this week. No God, no fear. It's a matter of faith over fear. Faith and fear cannot occupy the same mind at the same time. You're either faith, full of faith, or you're full of fear. Believers are admonished over and over in Scripture, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, do not be intimidated, do not worry, do not be anxious, and so on and so on. It's mentioned three times just in this short passage today. A bold, confident lot are we, the believers, the church, followers of Christ, or at least we're supposed to be, bold and confident, not fearful and intimidated. But if we're real, if you'll be real with me, and if I'm real with you, we all know there's times. We're not that bold. We're not that confident. We are fearful, and we are intimidated. The world, the flesh, and the devil tries its hardest, their hardest, to keep us in fear, to keep us discouraged, to keep us intimidated, keep us afraid, keep us worrying, keep us anxious, blah, 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 blah. So today God wants to set us free, his people. He wants to set his people free from fear and all fear's comrades. Sit back, let the word of God speak, the powerful word of God on this topic of fear. There are so many verses, it was hard to know what to leave out and still do the topic justice. So I, I just, I chose a very small fraction of the total number of verses that speak to this issue, but I'll show them to you in a minute. It has been said, I haven't counted. It has been said, there's, some, there's a verse like that, do not be afraid, do not worry, blah, blah, blah. 365 times in Scripture, one for every day of the year, because the Lord knew how after sin, how in bondage we would be to fear. You could probably find one for every day of the year. I don't know that for sure. I read it, but I didn't count. Here we go with the Word of God. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, my heart will not be afraid. I will remain confident. Psalm 34, 4. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, when the mountains crumble into the sea. We will not fear. Psalm 56, 4. When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. Praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Classic. Psalm 91, 4 and 5, the whole psalm really. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Psalm 112, 6-8, favorite passages. Those who are righteous will be long remembered they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident. They are fearless. And they can face their foes triumphantly. We could stay in Psalms all day on this topic, but there are so many others. I'm going to drop out of Psalms and go some other places in Scripture. Joshua 1.9. The Lord speaking to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 35, 3 and 4. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts... Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you, to deliver and to rescue you. Psalm 41.10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And how many times did Jesus say to his disciples, why are you so afraid? And then he gives the reason O ye of little faith. Faith and fear can't occupy the same mind at the same time. Why are you afraid? Because you have little faith. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6. Son of man, do not fear them or their words. 
Don't be afraid. Even though their threats surround you like nettles and briars and stinging scorpions, do not be dismayed by their dark scowls. And you say, well, yeah, that's easy when things are going good. Have you seen the context of some of these verses? Earthquakes, mountains, scorpions, deadly disease, terror at night. It's in the midst of those hopeless, impossible, messy situations that he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm right in there with you. And I'm like, man, would you like show me that you're with me? And stop just letting it up to faith. My grace is sufficient for you. There's so many we could pull from the Old Testament. I just want to get at least a smattering from the new. Matthew 10, 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is, in, all that is secret will be made known. Mark 5, 35 and 36. He, Jesus, was speaking to her. While he was still speaking to her when messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. No use troubling the teacher, Jesus. No, no use troubling Jesus anymore. Your daughter died. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And you know the rest of the story. Jairus' daughter revived and was healed. Jesus raised her from the dead. Faith and fear cannot occupy the same mind at the same time. One will be predominant. As believers, we'll have a choice. Which one's going to prevail in our lives? Faith or fear? And all of its comrades that come with it. Acts 18.9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him... Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. 2 Timothy 4, 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. One comment on this. Why the connection between a clear mind and don't be afraid? Because when you're afraid, you don't have a clear mind. And when you're afraid, you make wrong decisions based on fear. You need to have a clear mind, he told Timothy. Therefore, don't be afraid because that will cloud your thinking and your judgment if you give in to fear. I am not here to tell you this is easy. But I am here to tell you it's true. And it works, so to speak. If you're willing to really apply it. And that's not the easiest thing in the world either. Hebrews 2, 14, 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Fear of death is the granddaddy of all fear. All fear that we experience flows directly or indirectly from a fear of death. 
Fear of death came upon mankind in Genesis 3 when the human race sinned due to original sin. There was no fear before that. Once man sinned, now the consequence was, God said, now you surely must die. I'd like to talk to you about that some other time. That was an act of love on God's part, an act of love that he allows man to die, not a sentencing. We can talk about that some other time. But at that moment when God said, you now will surely die, fear of death came into the human race. And we've all been in bondage to it to some level or another. But when you became a believer, one of the things God does, he breaks that fear of death. None of us are like looking forward to the circumstances of our death. How am I going to die? But if you truly know the Lord, my guess is you're not afraid of death. Or you shouldn't be. If you are, we can talk. There's great assurances in Scripture of why we don't have to be afraid of death. We still mourn and grieve at death, but not as unbelievers do, not as those who have no hope, because we have a sure hope. Jesus sets us free from the fear of death and from all subsequent fear that flows from that fear. In Christ, we have freedom from fear and all its negative comrades that come along with it. Ray, will you come and pray? Congregation will stand. Sonny, whatever you got planned, just bring the band forward. Let's just take a moment and get our minds focused. Ray, wait till you see everybody's in a position for you to start praying. First of all, Ron, is this on? First of all, you guys sitting here, the guys I see Wednesday night, I know your thoughts, your concerns, and your prayers. I hear them. If you didn't get anything out of this sermon this morning, there's something wrong. Because I know you guys worry about one main thing, and that's your court cases. Just remember, God can be with you if you want him to be. Father, Give us the grace to recognize the faith like Peter did on the shipwreck to Rome. That you, Lord, have a place, an unfinished purpose for one's life on earth. When a person pursues a deeper relationship with you, Father, and follows the Holy Spirit's guidance, as you protect us from harm or death. I've talked about in passages this morning, the one that I look at from my rock that keeps fear away from me 
Psalms 16, 1, 2. It is written, keep me safe, my God, for you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Father, we need to be free from fear as Paul. As a faithful believer, we need to experience your nearness, your nearness, Father, so we can face this life's dangers with courage and insurance in you. We also want to remember you, Father, as we enter this holy week. Turn our hearts again to the life, the death, and resurrection of your Son. Stir up within us the gift of faith that we may not only praise him with our lips, but we may follow you in the way of the cross. Amen. So just a brief announcement for the kids who are participating in the play next week. We've been practicing really hard. They're doing a fantastic job. If you guys can have them here by 9.30 next Sunday, that would be great. And wear a light t-shirt, something light because getting in and out of the costumes is being a little tricky with the heavy clothes. Okay, if they have Easter dresses or whatever, the play is going to be about 20 minutes. They can change after. <laughs> But during the play, we ask that they just wear a t-shirt. Thank you. Hallelujah. Boy, what a message. I needed that today. The enemy tries to slip us up with that fear stuff, you know. So let's shout this out to him this morning. 